Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Charlotte Cho, the co-founder of Soko Glam and the founder of Then I Met You. Welcome, Charlotte. Thank you, Priya. Thanks for having me. It's been a while, Charlotte. How have you been doing this last year? I mean, now that we're kind of re-emerging into the real world. I know. It feels so strange. Um, Well, the past year has been eventful for all of us. Um, For me personally, I did have my first daughter. (laughs) Her name's Kennedy. So that's been a big personal change for me. Um, But yeah, you know, very fortunate to be able to work in an industry and work in, in skincare during this time because... It honestly has been even a moment of self-care for me to just dive into my skincare routine since there was literally nothing we could do socially. And I also speak about this transparently with Then I Met You and me navigating motherhood. I've just completely now understand the, the meaning behind self-care in a whole nother level. So I've, I've been just enjoying myself, taking time on the weekends especially to take care of myself mentally and physically. I can't imagine how, you know, cumbersome all of this was, you know, obviously a great new experience being a mom and congratulations, but doing this in the middle of a pandemic, I mean, so crazy and and isolating, you know? It it is. And having a pandemic baby, it has its perks because we were able to work from home and, you know, now I get to see her achieve her milestones working from home. Um, But there's so many downsides as well. And I really do miss being uh, part of the team physically, you know, going to the office, those little routines, you know, listening to a podcast, taking a subway into work, but we are, you know, slowly trickling back into work. So I'm, I'm starting to get a, a taste of both worlds now. It's funny how we kind of miss the subway. That's something I never thought I was going to miss, especially the sixth train since I'm on the east side. But um, Charlotte, I think so many of my listeners and our listeners here today know you and know your story. But, you know, take us back a little bit. You know, obviously, we're well acquainted with Soko Glam. And obviously, then I met you too, which is your newer baby. Tell us how you kind of started in beauty. Yeah, you know, I have a very unique um, story because I absolutely had no background formally in beauty at all. Um, I was just a girl raised in California, knew nothing about skincare, then moved to Korea uh, for the first time. My parents are both Korean and they immigrated to the U.S. over 40 years ago. And I had the chance after college to live and work in Korea. I was working at Samsung doing PR for them. It was a once in life opportunity in my uh, early 20s, fell in love with skincare, fell in love with Korean culture. And I really wanted to share what I'd learned after five years of living there. Um, I remember the streets of Korea were literally lined with, with skincare shops and all of these innovations. And quality products that literally cost the cost of a subway ride. And I just felt so interested in the culture. And also I really felt seen as an Asian American for the first time, seeing like all of these beauty trends really relating to me and and what I wanted to see in beauty. And so I want to share that. And I want to share what I learned with my skincare journey. And that's how Soko Glam began. The idea of curating that shop, you know, that experience to American customers, like where did that come from? Because, you know, I think other people around the same time and after you definitely had that idea, but you kind of really brought the best of the best innovations to the U.S. first. Yeah. So at the time we started Soko Glam, which is almost nine years now, which is insane, um, I never thought that this would take off as a business as it 
has obviously proven today. And there was no official business plan. This was not a strategy to capitalize on K-beauty or skincare. In fact, K-beauty was not even trending. It's not what it is today. And uh, it was purely coming from an authentic, passionate place of me being a Korean American, excited about skincare and understanding that all that I shared with my own friends you know, it really was interesting to them and they embraced it. And, you know, I became kind of their skincare guide to Korean beauty. And that really was the start of my curation, sharing what I authentically used. Um, and I wanted to kind of bring that over officially through Soko Glam, through a special curation. And it was an interesting point of difference because it wasn't about gimmicky products ever. It was not about something that would be viral on, on Instagram. It was truly products I used and I wanted to introduce and I wanted to take it from the lens of education. Education was always part of the DNA because I knew nothing about skincare when I first moved to Korea. And my education was through my Korean native friends at work who took me under their wing and taught me all I needed to know about skincare and how to build a multi-step skincare routine. Hence the phrase, you know, the Korean 10-step skincare routine, which I helped coin when in the early days. Um, and it really honestly resonated with beauty editors when I reached out to them because skincare was not a hot topic at the time. They were they were embracing all the innovations and the, the new ingredients and textures, the price points, you know, it really filled a white space. And I, I truly believe that um, that's how it became so mainstream so quickly because people were craving uh, better skincare innovations and, and taking delight in their skincare routine. It's interesting that you say that it wasn't gimmicky because so much of what's come after, I think, has been very cute and adorable and kind of fun. And I think that what stands out for your brand specifically and and what you do is that it's more serious. It's more educational focused. It is for someone who is really looking for a deeper dive. Is that how you describe your customer? Yes. Um, from I would say that Sogo Glam's DNA has always been about education. Even, we have a phrase, we call it, you know, it's our mission we help all people believe in only good skin days ahead. And we put the skin in parentheses and we use that as our mission statement. And we share that with our community because at the end of the day, you know, we are the gatekeepers of KBD and good skincare. And we consider ourselves a platform where you become educated about skin through the clog. You know, we have a robust, you know, content site um, that really helps educate people about skincare. And also we have, one-on-one -on -one text messaging consultations through our skin concierge program. We've evolved that over the years. You know, we've always been a digitally native brand, um, but we've evolved that over the years in different ways. We, you know, we did it over email, but we've also done it over the phone. And most recently in the past year, we've done it over text messaging because that's how our community wants to be, get their skincare knowledge and advice. So, um, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, people were talking about how we're evolving away from the counter, but Glam has always been about helping at the forefront, you know, with their skincare journey. Um, and for me as a curator and for me as a founder and for me who really passionately wants people to have a great experience with their skincare journey through Soko Glam, you know, I'm not going to curate something that is going to be bad for your skin, even though it might be viral on social. Uh, if it's going to sting or dry out your skin, it's not going to be curated. Um, and so that's always been part of 
the Soko Glam DNA and my mission from the very beginning. How do you find the brands that you work with today? And, you know, historically, you know, I mean, imagine when you first started, it was a little bit tougher. You know, now you're a known entity, but um, kind of cutting through that clutter, would you describe that? Yeah, it was very tough. You know, Dave and I, so Dave is my husband and co-founder. He's a CEO of Soko Glam. We literally started from a point of we had no context in the space. No one knew what Soko Glam was. We really had to prove ourselves. You know, um, it was a very grassroots, uh, bootstrapped company. And uh, it started off by literally going onto the streets of Seoul when we were living there and buying the products from the stores. And if we were lucky, it was on sale. <laughs> but otherwise, it was just sold. I picked up my favorite brands and products and sold them. And then we we were receiving a lot of credit and credibility as uh, the business grew. And the brand started approaching us and saying, hey, we love what you're doing. We love how you talk about our products. And then we forged those relationships. And so the point, a big point of difference of Soko Glam is that, you know, a lot of the known name Korean brands in Asia were on Soko Glam. It wasn't these small niche brands that no one ever heard of or that just started. Uh, we had Vanilla Co, Skin Food. You know, these were the brands that, you know, like Etude House, you know, these are no, known name brands that came to Soko Glam from the very beginning. And that's how we really set ourselves apart. And then, um, yes, our curation was really backed by the ingredient list, you know, we were always about talking about the turning around the product, looking at the ingredient list and really helping people navigate what makes a really great formulated product and how that's going to help your specific skin concern or skin type. Obviously, we were also having boots on the ground. You know, I would go to Korea four or five times a year to really kind of talk to experts, talk to people who really knew what, you know, was trending in Korea and helping bring those innovations and brands to Soko Glam. And we really took a, I really took pride in that um, because I wanted us to be a one-stop shop and really discover all of the best products. It was a full circle moment when actually we have this something called the Soko Glam Best of K-Beauty Awards. And when I saw the seal that we have on Soko Glam seen in the stores in Korea when I would go there on my sourcing trips... That was like a full circle moment when Korean brands wanted to show that they were being carried on Soko Glam in their own retail stores. That's incredible. That's like such a point of validation. Um, Charlotte, obviously you said, you know, you started this around nine years ago and K-Beauty has changed and skincare has changed, especially here in the U.S. Obviously, you know, K-Beauty wasn't what it was exactly nine years ago, but at the same time, so much of what you've practiced and preached has been adopted by American brands, you know, you know, whether it's a L'Oreal brand or an Estee Lauder brand. Um, so I guess, where do you think the future stands? Because so many of your, you know, peers at the time when you launched have really abandoned their curation concept and really are just focused on branded products, you know, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're, you know, they're Korean American brands versus K-beauty brands outright, but you seem to be doing a little bit of both. Yeah, you know, there's, so many ways, um, you know, and stories to share about this. I think, again, not to sound like a broken record, record, but I truly take delight in introducing Korean brands and innovations through Soko Glam and really providing a platform for new and exciting indie brands. Um, and I, I, I think that people in nine years have gone by and our community really trusts us and really wants to hear from our lens, a K-beauty lens, but ultimately a quality skincare lens, you know, what products we would recommend for their skin concerns. So 
that will never change. And I will, I have to say here and now, like I will never abandon the Soko Glam curation. And we love working with our partners and our brands. We have a really good relationship with them. And we really want to continue growing this curation as a retail. We think we're good at what we do, to be honest. And it's not easy to be totally frank. It's not easy to manage, you know, over 40 brands and growing every year um, and curating, constantly curating, constantly finding innovations and helping educate and share these brand stories. It's not easy. It ta- it's a beast. And there's a huge, amazing team behind me and Dave that really should be taking credit for how much we've grown year on year. But also we've been able to stabilize that part of the business so much so that we also have time for that I met you, which is my own skincare line. And that's growing rapidly as well. And then we also have other uh, private brands like The Clog and Good Skin Days that are also growing rapidly. So we kind of have the best of both worlds. Um, I can't really speak to what other Korean American entrepreneurs have done. You know, they obviously have seen growth in their own respective lines, which is just purely a business decision. Um, I don't really know the inside story as to why they abandon, you know, their other more like multi-branded retailer strategy. What would you say about, you know, the state of Korean beauty in the U.S. right now? Just like what people have an appetite for? Because, you know, I think, and I know you talked to Emma about this, but, you know, it was shocking to me that Innisfree closed their U.S. stores and in China and in Canada. And that was a really buzzy brand, you know, and it was one that had grown rapidly. And I know that they still have their Sephora partnerships and they're still going to be available. But I mean, you know, people are always looking for signs and trends. And so I'm just wondering what you're thinking about all of this. Like you've always been a digital first brand and you've prioritized that over retail, which has had a hugely difficult um, environment this last year. But, you know, what do you think the customer wants and what what's the appetite for K-beauty right now when there are brands who are not Korean that are also kind of adopting your practices? Yeah, I think that's such a great question. And I love addressing this because uh, I think I provide another perspective to the conversation, um, specifically about, you know, signs that maybe Korean beauty brands like Innisfree, that is huge. Like you said, it's a huge global brand awareness and, and, and I guess, uh, relevancy in the space. Um, to be honest, as uh, someone in the beauty space for nine years, when I heard about them expanding in many brick and mortar stores in the U.S., this was many years ago, pre-pandemic, four or five years ago, I thought that was a bad idea to begin with. And I knew that eventually that probably isn't going to be a business model that would succeed to be placing their their brand in malls, for example. Um, and even their expansion in, in China, when it was aggressive, never thought, as someone that just understands the digital trends and digital space, that was probably not going to work out well for them. We already saw early signs in Korea where brick and mortar was not gonna, was not faring well for many brands just because the consumer way of shopping has completely changed. And I don't think I have to explain myself further to know that and that was coming down the pipe, but they had success in the past with brick and mortar. And I think they were trying to repl- replicate that without seeing kind of the future in front of them. And so when I see news about them closing their doors, I don't think, oh my gosh, KBD is declining. I think that was an eventuality. And it just happens to come at a time where like KBD has been around for a while as well. I think there's many industries and many brands that have closed their doors, brick and mortar, um, across so many different sectors. Um, so that's, you know, kind of my response specifically about that. But, you know, Korean beauty is has never been about one product, one category, or even 
one brand. It's been a skin first philosophy. Philosophy. It's really helped、um, highlight people's、uh, introducing skincare as a kind of a self care moment. You know, it's been about the general innovation at large, and it's really helped push the envelope in the beauty industry to innovate, come up with new textures. Really introduce new、uh, and exciting ingredients and infuse them into categories that have never been, you know, used before.、Um, so, I see Korean beauty as just kind of like a huge mecca of innovation. And yes, right now,、uh, maybe you, you're not seeing so much K beauty trends popping up in media because honestly, the industry and the brands have wised up, and they've actually started. Producing and manufacturing a lot of their products in Korea, straight from Korea. I really, you know, as someone listening to this podcast, encourage you to kind of flip that product around and see if it's made in Korea or not. Because many times, a lot of these brands are just using the、uh, manufacturing capabilities and innovations straight from Korea and kind of passing off the innovations as their own. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that. It's interesting that you say that,、um, Charlotte. Tell me a little bit about Ben. I met you because I, you know, when you started that. Brand. I was very intrigued, but it was a very edited、um, assortment. You know, it's grown significantly since then. But you know, you didn't slap Soko Glam on the brand. You know, which is what you know some of the peers in your space have done. And you know, to no fault of their own. You know, they see the community. You know, and they they address it with a product line. You saw that with Into the Gloss and Glossier too. So why did you want to separate them? And like, what was like the goals? I guess from a business decision for both of them. It's a great question. We get this、um, asked a lot because, yeah, that was actually year two of Soko Glam. People were asking when we were going to create Soko Glam the skincare line, and I have to say that、um, I never wanted to start. Then I met you until I fully understood what the community wanted, and I honestly dipped my toes deeper into the pool and actually had experience product formulating. So I did a lot of collaborations with. With popular brands on Soko Glam, first and foremost, before starting my own line, I really wanted to take my time with this, and I'm so glad I did because yes, then I met you launched two and a half years ago, and we've won since then 16 industry awards for our products, and we only have seven products, and we've had triple digit growth, and we're、um, really、uh, have a huge international fan base already, and so the reason why we didn't start off with like a Soko Glam brand name is because. I wanted to have Soko Glam stand on its own two feet, and you know, I wanted my own line to stand on its own two feet as well. And so it's funny, it's interesting. Although then I met you sold on Soko Glam right now, for the full, first full year of then I met you's birth, it was only on its own then I met you dot com D two C site. We did not kind of leverage the Soko Glam platform, which has millions of people shopping and wanting to learn about skincare. We set it apart on its own, which was a hard, hard challenge. It was an uphill battle. That, that's for sure because we're not really utilizing our our assets, which is you know a whole huge rabid skincare community. We wanted Then I Met You to have its own unique brand story.、Uh, as, as you know, as I've told you, Chung is a big. Part of the brand, it's、uh, Chung is a Korean word that describes a deep and emotional connection, and it's that story is is big on its own that we really need to set apart so, separate from Soko Glam in order to tell that story right.、Um, and I'm glad I'm happy to say that after a year of of talking about Chung and the the efficacy of our products and the quality of our our products, it really created its own community on its own, and now it's standing on its own two feet and. There's a distinction between the two, so we've really been able to grow now two strong brands,、um, and so that that's that was a, a tough decision that Dave and I made in the very beginning, and I'm I'm glad we made that 
tough decision. And now it's on Sokogon thriving as, you know, the top brand. Um, and so it was always going to be there. It was always going to have an opportunity on Sokogon. It was just a matter of when. Would you say that it was difficult, you know, being, although you've been a curator, being a founder and formulating and kind of thinking about it from what's missing in this, in this larger beauty landscape, was that a, a totally different hat for you? What, what was that like? Um, you know, I took it from a very personal place because I think uh, Then I Met You has um, basically years of my own personal interest and, and passions about skincare and what I perceive to be the most luxurious cleansing balm, for example. I really wanted to bring something that I haven't saw in the space. I want it to be complementary to um, what life stage I was going through. You know, Then I Met You is, has a little bit of kick in their products. Has a little. It's a marriage between Korean beauty, which is very natural, gentle skincare, and then uh, American. I'm Korean American. Like, there's a little bit of American in where I want a little bit of acids, or I want a little bit of, um, you know, efficacy in the products in the sense that it has a very American roots in that way as well. I married that concept and, and created Then I Met You, and I also wanted to infuse this Korean concept of Chang into. Um, into the line because it's so important. It's an important concept to me that I even wrote in a book. Um, and so, you know, all of that combined, you know, allowed me to kind of pour now this other passion, you know, into this, this brand. It's, a, it's a, almost like an evolution. So Glam was my baby where I just got introduced to skincare and I grew with it. And then now that I may use my next journey, it's my next, it's my next baby, as you mentioned. Would you say, you know, the digital first strategy is continues to be a priority for Then I Met You? Because I know, Charlotte, you have some news for us that you're going to be sharing. But, you know, the way that you've approached retail, like, why are you thinking about it differently, you know, with this brand versus, say, Soko Glam? Yeah, you know, yeah, we're a digitally native brand for Soko Glam and Then I Met You, and we we do plan to continue that. Um, when Then I Met You launched, we actually had reach out from over 10 retailers globally that wanted to carry Then I Met You. And we actually said no to every single one. Um, and again, this was another um, strategic approach to it, which is sure, we can definitely jump into all of these retail opportunities, but the brand literally just launched. And we have so much to, to figure out, so much to say. Um, there's, it's honestly, uh, there's a saying that I always repeat to many other people trying to get into the skincare space and, and beauty entrepreneurs. It's easy to get in, but it's harder to stay. And, you know, we, I'm not uh, naive about the process of jumping into a retail relationship. You really have to have a brand that people want <laughs> in order to survive in, in retail. And we just got started. And so we strategically said no to um, many of these retailers. And in, in our two and a half year has gone by, by where we won 16 awards. We've gotten a credibility and, and honestly love from this community that, and, and, this, and this demand. People want these products globally. And now we're finally ready to say yes to a partner that I feel very intimately connected to. And I feel that I've been, I really admire what they've been doing in the space. And that's Cult Beauty. So, you know, this is very new news. And this is the first, uh, Glossy is the first uh, media outlet that I've shared this with. But we are going to be launching um, on Cult Beauty. Uh, this, well, the, we're announcing officially this week and um, through a wait list. And next week, we're, uh, it's going to be for sale at Cult Beauty. And they're a perfect partner because they are going to be satisfying our international demand. They're very respected in the space of curating the top brands. And also, um, I, I love their honestly, their digital first approach. 
they don't have brick and mortar. It's very, you know, I'm actually friends with the founder who started Cult Beauty over 10 years ago, had a similar journey where she's grew the brand very grassroots and, and bootstrapped. And I think it's, it's a great way and it's a perfect partner for Then I Met You to thrive and grow. Tell me about that like-mindedness because I think that's interesting. You know, I'm fascinated and, you know, we get these pitches all the time and I talk to founders all the time about raising to get into retail and, you know, having to spur their growth indoors. And, you know, obviously that's a a year-on-year change, but, you know, that's not sustainable. So for you, you know, why was it important to partner with a digital first you know, platform. And then also like, you know, you mentioned that it's international. It's not cannibalizing your business here in the US, which I think obviously wasn't, you know, that's probably strategic, right? So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think it's really important as a brand to take it step by step. And um, that's exactly what we did with Soko Glam. And that's exactly what we did with That I Met You. And that's why we're able to have, you know, so much control and we are able to really dictate our future and really chart our own path. And so I obviously believe in digital first approach and I believe it's going nowhere. The pandemic cemented that even further. Um, And with cult beauty digital first approach, I think there's a lot of wins. Um, And I I only can see that I'm at you currently at the stage at a a digital first retailer like cult beauty. That's not saying that, you know, Um, We will never be in brick and mortar because there's definitely a a time and place for brick and mortar. Um, But there's a lot of pros, I think, out of everything. uh, At the end of the day, there's a lot of pros for a grassroots growing business to be first in digital digital environment. Um, I think people underestimate how much it costs to be in brick and mortar. There's a lot of costs associated with sampling and, um, you know, there's, you know, end caps, the cost to that, which is heavily put on the brand. Um, and there's honestly, um, there will be a time and place for them to be in brick and mortar, but the time is not now. And we've gotten a lot of reach out even, you know, in recent days in many different countries. And um, again, I, I, I prefer the digital approach. What's your impression of, you know, what's going to happen next in terms of the pandemic, in terms of, you know, consumer behavior and digital? Because, you know, some people, you know, and I think they... Uh, Jean-Paul Agon at L'Oreal coined this, but like, you know, the idea of the roaring 20s. Everybody's going to be back. Everybody's going to be in stores. We're going to be wearing red lipstick and high heels. And, you know, even our, some of our makeup peers have said that there's really about the, it's really about the skinification of makeup and we're not really going back, back to the old days. So what about for you? Like, I mean, what do you think, you know, A, skincare space is going to be in all of this, but also like the digital shopping experience. Like, are we really going to be able to turn that off? Absolutely not. (laughs) You know, I do think that there's going to be obviously a surge of people wanting to be social again, and even myself included. And there's going to be opportunities for makeup and people are going to take delight in that. And I hope they do. Um, But at the end of the day, there's so much convenience that we've learned over the years. There's so many changes and patterns of behavior that will really not go back fully to where it was before. For example, work from home. I think even for Soka Glam, we, we very strongly believed in collaboration in the office. And um, now with the pandemic and working from home literally for over a year, uh, we will be flexible about that. And we um, and, and me as a consumer of other goods, not just beauty, will always rely on now grocery delivery, you know, and all of these patterns that I don't think will change much. And skincare will, has now officially 
we've grown during the pandemic, fortunately, and people have seen skincare as a ways of self-care. It's a way of honestly doing a, your own facial at home. I've gotten the question a lot over my years in beauty. Who's your favorite facialist? Who's your favorite, you know, what what beauty uh, facialist do you go to in New York? And I'm like, I actually don't get facials because I know how to do it myself at home. And I think people kind of learn that and, and they've used this as a moment of self-care. They use, moment, they use this time in the past year to educate themselves about their skin and really focus on wellness inside and out. And so this is definitely not going to change. Just like mask wearing is not going to change. I think personally, I love wearing masks, especially when... I feel a little under the weather and I'm going to wear a mask again and no one's going to blink in their eyes. It's going to be like Korea. I, I, I see so many trends coming out of Korea, not just about beauty, but consumer behavior, shopping behaviors, a lot of things that happen in Korea, five to 10 years I see happening in the US. And I definitely see that there's a lot of similarities and there's people are very digitally f- focused in Korea now and it has been for a while and I see that trend translating over here very quickly. QR codes, that was a new thing in the pandemic here at this time because of restaurants and how we had to social eat outside and outdoor dining. That what QR codes were just rampant in Asia for a good five to six years at least. So I just see a lot of these trends happening and they're here to stay. I think it's so funny when we talk about QR codes because you know we were trying so hard to make those happen like four or five years ago and just people didn't want it. And now we're totally attuned to it. Charlotte, you know, I love that, you know, you've taken such a personal approach to your business. And, you know, I know that extends to investment too, and how you guys have bootstrapped your business. And I'm just wondering, you know, in this climate when skincare has been booming, and, you know, like you said, there's been retail interest, I'm sure investors have been approaching you as well. Like what's made the decision for you maybe not to take that investment? You know, Dave and I talk about this all the time. Um, we actually truly enjoy growing the business from a grassroots approach. And I know that because we truly believe that's the way, best way to build community. You're not going to raise like $10 million and throw ads at it and build a community out of that. And you have to put in the work. It's a harder journey. It's an uphill battle. You have to take your time building community, but that's the way to do it. It's grassroots. It's organic. It's authentic. And you can't throw money at that. Um, us being very scrappy before pandemic times, like we were always being very savvy and careful and resourceful about how much money we're spending on photo shoots, for example. You know, I know that was a big lesson learned for a lot of beauty brands during the pandemic, which is like, wait, we don't have to do these glossy photo shoots that are $50,000 for one launch. We've been doing that from the beginning because we've always been grassroots and that's a better way and healthier way to build a business. Um, and so these are the things that we strategically have decided early on because we want to chart our own future. We want to chart our own. We don't want to be beholden to investors that don't like an idea that tell us that we have to get approval. Um, we like the fact that we've been able to grow this community and and make decisions about Then I Met You that maybe an investor would have hated. <laughs> because we know at in the heart of hearts, that's the way to grow a brand. That's the way we want to grow in our brand. And we believe that we've been successful up until this point despite trying new and different things every time, every step of the way, because we've taken it from a very authentic approach. And we don't think that having money thrown out the problems will actually result in the best solution all the time. It's certainly one way to grow a business. I'm not saying that people who have ex- accepted an investment, and it's not to say that we'll never accept investment, but we are very proud of our, our nine-year journey um, and being able to chart our own path. 
And Charlotte, you know, I obviously have known you guys have grown since 2012, but, you know, there are very few numbers out there that, you know, you've spoken directly. What can you tell us about, you know, your growth, whether it's for Gum or Then I Met You? I know everyone's wondering. <laughs> well, you know, we've been profitable since year one of Glam, and um, we're, we're, I'm glad to say that that's been the reoccurring case. I think that's really important because a lot of people will cro- talk about, um, triple digit growth, but it's on the backs of tons of Facebook ads or Instagram ads. We've achieved that kind of double, triple growth year on year, to be frank and profitably. So, you know, that's all I can share. Um, and, and I think that's, we personally think that's the right way to grow a business. Last question for you, Charlotte, which is a bigger one, but, you know, obviously this last year has been so difficult on um, the AAPI community, you know, which we're both a part of. And, you know, I think, we've seen beauty brands really kind of come to the forefront and actually address it for the first time. And I think, you know, I, I can say this for myself, you know, being quote unquote, a model minority, we're really not supposed to be talking about these things. These are things that culturally are really um, maybe seen, but not heard. So I'm wondering, like for you as a founder, like how has that been, you know, obviously personally and professionally and like what decisions have you kind of made around the business to like reflect this? Yeah, you know, I feel very fortunate that in the nine years of growing Soko Glam, I've also built myself a platform and I have a voice in the space and I can help share those conversations that are, have been uncomfortable in the past. I've been very, you know, growing up, watching my immigrant parents be and experience their fair share of racist attacks and seeing them kind of either skirt the issue or put their heads down and not say a word. I'm now the generation that has opportunity and privilege to speak up. And so I've been very vocal about the rise in anti-Asian hate due to the pandemic. And it's been um, it's been a very important part of Dave and I's journey. Like we've been very vocal in and, and also sharing and donating to organizations that we feel make a difference. Um, one example, one specific example is um, Beauty for Good is a new organization or new program that has launched on Soko Glam in which we were gonna we are gonna be spotlighting, highlighting brands and founders in beauty that really contribute transparency, uh, inclusivity, and authentic authentic stories, and that want to provide good for the community. And so, um, for AAPI Month last month, we introduced and spotlighted seven beauty founders that are of Asian descent. Um, and we are curating them in a very special AAPI Asian Founders Collective capsule that uh, shows showcases their brand. And we've been, uh, it's a limited edition capsule collection. It, it spans seven strong brands like Good Light, Crave, Wander Beauty, you know, and it's a great opportunity for our audience that are this skincare obsessed to learn about these brands. So such, it's a, a new initiative. It's been overwhelmingly successful. And we plan to do this uh, and, and, and have it ongoing. So do you think that like, this is the way maybe not necessarily to expand out of K-beauty, but really to kind of celebrate what your ethos is from a brand values point of view? Yes, brand values of education, um, curation, helping people find solutions for their skincare journey. Regardless, you know, if it's K-beauty or not, it's really about innovative skincare that's going to drive results. And, you know, we don't necessarily say we are a K-beauty site. We are we are a skincare platform at the end of the day. Korean beauty has always been about quality skincare that really changes, the, that has changed the industry. I, I truly believe Korean beauty 
has been the impetus of the rise of indie brands because before KBD entered the space and provided so many different price points, so many different innovations and, and points of views in beauty, um, it has really driven the indie beauty category to thrive and grow beyond the legacy brands. Thank you so much, Charlotte. It was so great having you today and congratulations on Cult Beauty. We're so excited. Thank you so much, Priya. It was great chatting with you about all of these topics. Thank you so much for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, that means if you haven't subscribed, please hit that button.